I've been listening to that song for the last few months, and uh, I was so excited to have our band play that as an introduction to our Romans series. Really encapsulates what Romans is all about. And so if you're a prodigal child and you're stumbling in, uh, I want you to know that the gates are open wide for you. And that's really what this message series is all about. Like I mentioned earlier, last Sunday, we started this message series that we're calling Shaken. And, uh, and what we're finding is that the truth of the gospel shake things, shakes things up. Last week, we talked about how uh, the gospel shakes up karma. And if you weren't with us last week, I really encourage you to listen to the podcast. All of these messages are going to build on the previous one. And uh, as we walk through the book of Romans, you're going to want to stay caught up on what we're talking about and keep everything into context. So last week, Larissa shared with you here, and Bruce and I taught in Great Falls, that karma is turned on its head by grace. Uh, in, in fact, most of the world believes in some sort of karma. Karma is kind of at the heart of most religious systems that, that whatever you put in is what you're going to get back. If you fail, you're going to get failure as a result. If you do bad things, bad things are going to come back to you. And grace and Jesus turns that on its head and says, regardless of what your past is, Jesus is going to save you. He's going to forgive you. He's going to reconnect you back to God. And so that was the message last week. So important to keep that in focus for today because we're, we're launching into the second half of Romans chapter 1. And so today and next week, both weeks, we're going to be dealing with the topic of sin, which is very difficult to swallow because we don't like knowing that we're sinners, right? Isn't that true? We just don't like that. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're a sinner. All right. How, how did that feel? Not, not so good. Okay. Now turn to your neighbor and say, I'm a sinner. All right. Hopefully that made your neighbor feel a little bit better because we're all in this together, right? But the truth is Jesus came to reconnect us to God. And that's what Romans is all about. It's about being on mission, understanding what Jesus did, living it in our lives, and sharing it with other people who need to know that their sin doesn't have to separate them from God. So keep that in mind today as we launch into the first of two weeks in dealing with Paul's uh, topic of sin in Romans chapter 1, and next week we'll be launching into Romans chapter 2. So, sin. How many of you sinned this week? All right. Uh, okay. A, a lot of uh, honest people. I had one of those, those experiences this week in which I just was confronted with my sin in a mirror. Have you ever had that, that experience? I went to the dentist, okay? And the dentist made me sin. And uh, <laughs> it's true. It's true. Um, I go to the dentist, they make me come about once every four months, and I don't always love going, I, I hate going to the dentist, let me just be honest. I hate going to the dentist, and it's because every time I go to the dentist, my hygienist, who's very kind and she's very nice, but she always just heaps a lot of guilt on me. As soon as I walk through the door, she says, well, hello, Russ, how's your brushing been going? And, and I'll say, well... I'm, I'm, well, this time I had to confess I, I, I haven't stepped it up because last time she said more brushing, more brushing. And how's the flossing going? And so then I have to confess about the flossing. And, and then she says things like, now, I really want you to floss after every bite. And I'm like, who floss?
losses after every bite, okay? I can, I can understand after, really every bite? I'm exaggerating, right? Okay, so she doesn't really say that. But it's just, I go to the dentist and there's all this guilt because I'm never quite good enough. And then it gets worse because my wife, Chris, goes to the same dentist and has the same hygienist, okay? And, and it's always, oh, Chris is so pretty. Oh, Chris makes me laugh. Oh, Chris's teeth are perfect. And Chris, Chris brushes and Chris flosses and, and her teeth are just so perfect. And, and then Chris comes home from her dentist appointment and she says, the dentist walks in and he says, oh, it's so good to see a mouth like yours. And, and so, so I've got you know, all this pressure because Chris's mouth is perfect and my hygienist tells me my mouth isn't good enough and there's all this guilt. And then I'm studying the second half of Romans chapter one this week and there's one word, there's a long list of sins. If you've been reading it, you know what's in there. There's a long list of sins in Romans chapter one. One of the words is the word malice. And malice means when you're wishing something bad on another person. And I realized... I wish Chris would get a cavity, okay? It would just, it would make me feel so much better because her teeth are so perfect. So um, <laughs> I just had to confess that to you because it, malice is sin, right? How many of you had a malicious thought this week? You wish some, okay, see, I'm not alone. You're with me. <laughs> and it's sin and and. And I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm telling you a, kind of a funny story and I'm exaggerating, but the truth is we all have these things that enter our hearts and it's dark and it's black. And, and if we're honest with ourselves, we have to say there's stuff that needs to go. I need to put malice out of my life and I need to be happy for my wife's perfect mouth and I need to do better with my brushing and my flossing after every bite. Just kidding. Um, you might be aware this morning that we have kind of in our minds, if we're honest with ourselves, all of us kind of have a sin ranking system in our minds. Do you know what I'm talking about? Like we have this idea of, of all kinds of sins or bad things and we kind of rank them, okay? Like we, we have little sins that most of us would consider aren't really that big a deal and, and envying my wife's good teeth. We would probably call that a little sin. It's not really that big a deal. We'd, we'd say that um, overeating is probably a little sin. We've just got all these little things that, that the Bible talks about and it calls them sin, but we just don't, we don't think much about them because they're just little. And then there's medium sins. We might think of medium sins as things like white lies. You know, I might, um, if, if my wife tell, asks me if these jeans make her butt look big, okay, I might tell a white lie, and, and, and I can rationalize. I mean, your, your butt is beautiful, sweetheart. That wasn't in the script. I need to stick to the script. Okay, so there's, there's, <laughs> there's medium sin. I, I, that, I really had no plan to say that. I don't know where it came from. <laughs> okay, and then there's big sins, like saying butt in church. Okay, that's one of the... That's a big sin. You shouldn't ever say those things in, in church. But we think of big sins, you know, like uh, adultery or like stealing or, you know, we've got these big sins. And then there's the scarlet letter sins. And every culture and every time has what they would consider scarlet letter sins. You remember reading the scarlet letter when you were in high school? 
Um, and, and if you've never read it, it's, it's this story, and this is an image from a stage play of The Scarlet Letter. It's about this woman. Her name is Hester, and she becomes pregnant, and she's not married. It's set in puritanical England, and adultery is this huge, huge sin. I mean, you are a really, really bad person if you commit adultery. And so what they do is they make her wear a scarlet letter A on her chest, so that everybody knows she's committed adultery, everybody is going to shame her, and even after she has this little baby whose name is Pearl, there's all kinds of shame. This is a big, big sin in puritanical England. And of course, in our culture, we've kind of soft-pedaled adultery for a long period of time. Um, but in our culture, we have scarlet letter sins. Like, uh, like this week, it came out that beating your wife is a scarlet letter sin in our culture, right? And if you've been watching the news, you know that's a really, really big deal. Uh, kind of interesting, if, if you do any history, if you do any studying of history on, on beating your wife, you'll find out that a couple hundred years ago in America, our, our justice system had all kinds of reasons why a man could beat his wife, and, and it would be allowable. So these things shift, right? But, but things like rape and murder, these are child abuse. These are scarlet letter sins in our culture. And in our minds, we have this sin ranking system, little, medium, big, scarlet letter sins. But what we're going to find today when we, when we look at Romans chapter 1 is there's a big problem with our sin ranking system. And so we're going to be taking a look at how we rank sins and what the Bible really has to say about that. So uh, if you've got your Bibles this morning, I want to invite you to turn with me to Romans chapter 1. And uh, if you don't have a Bible, we've got Bibles back there that you can borrow. Or actually today, everything's going to be up on the screen because I want you to be able to see everything really clearly. And before we jump into Romans chapter 1, I just want to mention this to you. Uh, As Larissa shared last week, the book of Romans is a letter. It wasn't ever intended to be a book. It was written as a letter from the Apostle Paul to a group of people that lived in Rome. That's why it's called Romans. And many, many years later, somebody came along and and subdivided it into chapters and verses. And so one of the things that I'm going to ask you to pay attention to today is the fact that originally there were no chapter breaks, there were no verse breaks, this was just all one letter, one thought from the Apostle Paul, and that's going to be important later on. Uh, But we're going to start at verse 18 of Romans chapter 1 if you've got your Bible open, or like I said, it's up on the screen. So uh, if you've got notes this morning, if you haven't picked up note cards, they're right up here and there's some back there. Uh, There's some things you're going to want to remember today, and I hope you'll jot them down as we move along. So feel free to get up and grab a note card if you've missed it. Okay, Romans chapter 1, starting at verse 18. Here's what we read. Starts off real scary. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. If you mark in your Bible or you highlight in in your electronic device, uh, this is one of the key phrases is suppressing the truth. God is really mad. We could even say he's pissed off at people who suppress their truth by continuing in unrighteousness. And you're going to see this phrase repeated throughout this section. Verse 19, Paul says, for what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. 
For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and his divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they're without excuse. Now what's Paul saying? A couple of things you can write down if you're taking notes. First of all, Paul wants us to know that God has plainly revealed himself to us. God has plainly revealed himself to us. Now, in the year 2014, we know that God has revealed himself to us through Jesus. We are fortunate enough to have the Bible. For centuries, people didn't have the Bible. They couldn't know the scriptures, but we live in this time that we're so blessed to have a clear revelation in the form of the Bible. And what Paul is talking about here is that God has even revealed himself to people who don't have the message of Jesus, that don't have a copy of the Bible, because you can look at creation and you can see God's presence in the world. Um, I was reading a book last night and the author was talking about when his wife had a baby, he was so aware of the reality of God because what a miracle birth is. And this is what Paul is saying. We can know God's existence and we can discern things about him just from what we see on this planet. And then he says this, and this is what you can write down, is that God's wrath comes to anyone who suppresses the truth about God. God's wrath comes to anyone who suppresses the truth about God. And we're going to talk a little bit more about what that looks like. But for now, just jot that down and hang on to that idea. God has plainly revealed himself to us, and God's wrath comes to anyone who suppresses the truth. Let's keep reading. Verse 21. Paul says, For although they knew God, these people who have suppressed the truth, although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools, and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and animals and creeping things. And I would summarize it this way, and this is what you can write down. When we don't honor God, our hearts become darkened. And, and, and Paul describes what that means. Our hearts become darkened. It means that uh, we're deprived of light. We live in this dark area. We, th- we live in this dark world. Uh, Paul says we think we're wise and we're completely unaware that we're fools, okay? Anybody want to find out one day that you're just a complete fool when you thought you were real smart? Okay, that could be really humiliating, right? Um, and then in verse 23, he says, we start loving created things instead of the creator. And this is really interesting language because God created everything and, and his motivation, his intention was that we would love him. But what we all tend to do is start loving what he made. And of course, in, this, in Paul's day, there was all kinds of idolatry. In America, we don't have a lot of idolatry. We don't have people worshiping carved and stone things. Of course, that's happening in a lot of other parts of the world. But we fix our eyes on lots of things that God has created. We love people. We love things. We love money. We love entertainment. We love recreation. We love a lot of things that God created that are good, and we put those things above God. Paul says that when we don't honor God, our hearts become darkened. 
And then there's something that happens, and this is where I want you to really pay close attention. Paul describes what I'm calling the progressive condition of sin. There's, there's a progression to sin. When we start sinning, when we start behaving badly, when we start being disobedient to God, there's a progression that happens. And Paul describes this here in Romans chapter 1, and it starts at verse 24. Verse 24 says, Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity. And again, if you mark in your Bible, I'd encourage you to underline or circle or highlight the words gave them up. Because this is a phrase that's repeated now three times in Romans chapter 1, and it describes the progression of sin. And this is the first one. God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, (coughs) and they worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Again, that same idea of worshiping the creature instead of the creator. Here's the first progression of sin. When we continue in sin, number one, God gives us up, to uncleanness. The the verse that I have up here says impurity, but another translation would say uncleanness. And that word uncleanness is a metaphor for lustful, wasteful living. Wasteful is a good description of this word. It means that we are damaging ourselves. We are wasting ourselves. And when we continue to dishonor God, when we continue to sin, we damage ourselves. (coughs) Excuse me. Paul describes lust in our hearts. He describes abusing our own bodies. And he describes loving created things instead of the creator. Examples of this, if you want to jot things down, these would be things like pornography. Uh, Our culture tells us that pornography is a victimless sin. In fact, our culture doesn't even call it a sin anymore, but there are no victims. But in reality, if you're using pornography, if you're viewing pornography, and if that's a part of your life, what's happening is you are damaging yourself. We could talk about alcohol abuse and how people who abuse alcohol, you're damaging your body, you're damaging your liver, you're damaging so many things about your own self. Uh, using illegal drugs or any kind of drug dependency that's just abusive, uh, you're damaging yourself. All of these kinds of things are things, even food abuse, okay? If you're constantly abusing food, either in overeating or even on the other side of the spectrum, if it's, uh, if it's like um, uh, bulimia or anorexia, those kinds of things, food abuse, you're damaging yourself, And this is what Paul is saying is when we continue in sin, God just gives us over to these things and and there's real damage that happens to ourselves. And then there's a second thing. It's described in verses 26 and 27. It says, for this reason, God gave them up. There's that same phrase again. You could mark that if you're marking in your Bible. God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchange natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. 
Now, this is number two in the sin progression. The second one is this. God gives us up to shameful emotions or shameful passions. The, the word in this translation is the word passions, but a metaphor for that is just emotions. God gives us up to these emotions that carry us into a different place. And what happens, the first progression was we're damaging ourselves, but now that God has given us up to these emotions, these passions, we begin damaging other people. We're inviting other people into our sin and we're bringing damage to them as well. Now, Paul here uses the example of same-sex desires and actions, and, uh, and, and I believe that this is an example. Paul's probably using this for shock value because this would have been one of his scarlet letter sins in his culture. And so Paul is using this same-sex thing as, as shock value to illustrate how damaging this can be when we have given ourselves over to sin and God has let you go into that place of passion and emotions and damaging others. But it could be any other sin. Whenever we start participating and, and inviting people into our sin, we start damaging other people. I remember uh, as a young adult, one night some friends of mine invited me out to a bar and uh, and if, if you know my story, you know I was raised in church in a pretty conservative family. There was no alcohol ever in our family, and I was a pretty good kid most of the time. Uh, and as a, as a young adult, I started spreading my wings and experimenting with some things. And I remember this one particular night with, when a couple of friends took me out to a bar, and they knew that I had, had very little exposure to alcohol, and they knew I had never, ever been drunk. And uh, as the evening unfolded, it became very clear to me that they were planning to get me drunk that night. And they were having a great time and they kept ordering drinks and here, Russ, try this and and laughing at me as as my sobriety went away and as the evening progressed. And and they were just having great fun pulling me into their sinful lifestyle, okay? And, And when I was studying early this morning, I was having this recollection of how they were attempting to damage me as they pulled me into their sin. Does this, does this make sense? And, and I can think back to other times too of, of times in my life when I uh, pulled other people into my sin, things I'm deeply ashamed of to this day that I wouldn't even want to tell you the story. But, but this is what happens when we give ourselves over to sin, when we don't repent, when we just continue, God gives us over first to damage ourselves and then secondly, we start damaging other people. And Paul says that you're going to get the reward that you deserve for your behavior. And this isn't karma. It's just what you earn. He's talking about the natural consequences of these kinds of sins. If you go this far, if God has given you over, if sin has progressed to this point, there are consequences that you're going to earn. This is what happens when we sin. But this isn't where it ends. There's more. Verse 28 describes step three in the sin progression. Paul says, since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up now to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. And again, there's that phrase, God gave them up. I don't know about you, but that phrase scares the willies out of me. 
The idea that God just lets me go. I kind of view it like one of those retractable leashes that I walk my dogs on, you know, and, and I keep them close to me most of the time, but sometimes I just give them a little more leash and a little more leash and a little more leash. This is what this is describing. God just lets you go on your own. And the security of knowing that I'm close to Jesus. If I don't honor God, if I continue in sin, he just gives me a little more leash, a little more leash until now I'm at number three. And number three is this. God gives us up to a debased mind. What does the word debased mean? Pretty simple. If you think about it, it means you have no base. You have no foundation. Good word that I found is unhinged. Anybody ever known somebody who's unhinged? Okay. This is the third consequence of God giving you a little more leash. Your mind comes unhinged. And where it started with abusing your own body and then you start damaging others, now you're damaging your mind. And it's a really scary thing to get to this point. And again, the root of all this stuff is that we didn't acknowledge God. We didn't worship God. We didn't love God. We exchanged the adoration of the creator for getting our eyes focused on what and who he created. And it leads us into this frightening progression of sin. Uncleanness, shameful emotions, a debased mind. And then once we've progressed through these three stages, Paul describes what happens after that. In verse 29, Take a look at this. It says, They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice, wishing my wife's teeth would rot out of her mouth. That's what malice is, right? They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are, ooh, gossips, slanderers, Haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful. Have you ever found yourself boasting? This one's tough. Inventors of evil. What this word means in the original language is people are making up new ways to sin. Wow. Uh, There's a verse in the Old Testament that says there's nothing new under the sun. Evidently, in Paul's day, he was seeing people that were coming up with new ways to offend God. Um, Disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. And then verse 32, he says, though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but they give approval to those who practice them. In other words, it's not good enough for me to sin on my own. I'm going to approve everybody else that sins. I'm going to try to make sure that everybody feels okay about their sin, that, that it's, it's good. It's okay. We're all on, we're, we're great. That's the end result of this progression of sin. And if you've got your Bibles open, you know that that's where this chapter ends. Sin, an unhinged mind, God's wrath, icky, nasty. Anybody depressed yet? Okay. 
But here's where I want you to pay attention. Paul's message doesn't stop here. Even though we're at the end of a chapter, there were no chapters in Paul's day. And so I want to take us into chapter 2, verse 1, because that verse starts with the word, therefore. And if you remember back to your high school English class, whenever you see the word, therefore, you ask yourself, what is it therefore? So he's connecting all of this stuff to the beginning of chapter 2. So let's read chapter 2, verse 1, and see what he says. He says, Therefore, you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. Jess, would you go back one slide? There we go. Therefore, you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges, for in passing judgment on another, you condemn who? Yourself. Why? Because you, the judge, practice the very same things. Now, it's so critical that we connect the last half of chapter 1 to the beginning of chapter 2 because Paul has an important message for all of us. Although there's lots of sins and lots of condemnation and lots of guilt there in chapter 1, what is he saying? He's saying every single one of us are guilty of sin. And it might not be the big scarlet letter sin that we all like to talk about and that we like to condemn that group of people to, but we have sin. Even if it's just wishing that my wife would get cavities in her mouth, it's sin. And what Paul says is we have no excuse when we stand in judgment of another person's sin. It sounds kind of like tolerance, doesn't it? Uh, In in fact, these verses in the Bible, uh, lots of people that really don't grasp the Bible, they love to quote these verses, judge not lest you be judged, right? Or or this one, you have no excuse, those of you who who judge. Um, Don't judge me is the mantra of the tolerance movement in our culture. And let me give you a very simple definition of what tolerance is according to our culture. Tolerance tells us that we are all okay. We're all okay. Um, your beliefs and your behaviors are okay, even if mine are different. That's what tolerance is asking us to, to believe and to practice. Tolerance says there are no scarlet letter sins. In fact, tolerance says there are no sins at all, right? What's good for you is good for you. Um, all paths lead to the same end, all that kind of stuff. This is what tolerance is. But what Romans 2.1 says is very different from our cultural definition of tolerance. Romans 2.1 says we are all broken. Now, those two sentences both start the same. It starts with we are all, right? And, and this is what I think is really important is that there is great commonality in all of us, regardless of what you struggle with, whatever, regardless of, 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 of what your, your heart and your mind take you to, there's commonality because we are all in the same boat. But the boat isn't that we are all okay. The boat is that we are all broken. And what do I mean by broken? I mean we've all sinned. Whenever we sin, whenever we transgress what God has clearly revealed, it breaks us. Do you know what I'm talking about? It it breaks us. And the Bible says if we claim that we have no sin, we lie. 
We're all broken. And so this is why Paul says if we stand in judgment of somebody else's sin, we're hypocrites because we're all broken. Now I want to illustrate this a little bit and and, and there's a powerful truth here that I hope we will all grasp today. And I want you to imagine that we are breaking a couple of glasses. Actually, I was planning to just drop a couple of glasses here on the cement floor, but it would be a nightmare to clean up. So uh, I'm, I'm going to illustrate it with, with pictures and with a video. Um, but I want you to imagine that I had two glasses and, and, I bro- and, and I dropped them from exactly the same height on exactly the same surface. Um, if the first one dropped, it would look like this, Right? And if you imagine that I drop a second glass from exactly the same height on exactly the same surface, our logical mind would assume that it will break exactly the same, right? It should work that way, right? If, I, if they're identical, they should break exactly the same. But we had one of our team members in Great Falls do an experiment in breaking glasses. I want you to take a look at this. You see what's happened there? And here's what I want you to remember, and and this is one of the big ideas that I hope you'll take away today. We're all broken, but we all break differently. We're all broken, but we all break differently. And here's the challenge with that sin ranking system that I started with today. We're still hung up on that thing that there's little sins and medium sins and big sins. And each one of us has a tendency to think, you know what, my sin, my brokenness isn't nearly as bad as that guy's brokenness. My brokenness doesn't, boy, I'm in the little category, but that person needs to wear a scarlet A on their chest. That person's brokenness, now that's bad. But here's the deal. Jesus didn't ever acknowledge the sin ranking system. Do you know that? He never acknowledged the sin ranking system. I want you to think of some of the stories from the New Testament. Like the story of Zacchaeus in Luke chapter 19. Zacchaeus was a wee little man and a wee little man was he. If you remember the Sunday school song. But what was important was not that he was wee. What was important is he was considered a Jewish traitor. He was a tax collector for the Romans, and the Jewish people hated him. It was one of the scarlet letter sins because he was collecting taxes from Jews and and sending it on to Rome. You know what Jesus did? He saw Zacchaeus up in a tree, and he said, come down out of that tree. I'm going to have dinner in your house today because Jesus didn't acknowledge the sin ranking system. I think of someone like the woman at the well in John chapter 4. If you've never read this story, you ought to read it. It, It's so beautiful. This was a woman that encountered Jesus. She was of a different race than Jesus. She had been married five times, and she was now living with a guy that she wasn't married to. I mean, she, if you want to talk about scarlet letter sins, this woman had them all. And not only did Jesus sit and talk with her, he had the longest conversation that he had with anybody in recorded scripture because he didn't acknowledge the sin ranking system. One of the most beautiful stories in all of the gospels is the woman who was caught in adultery in John chapter eight. This was a woman the Pharisees brought to Jesus and and the, the, 
The story tells us that she was caught in the very act of adultery. I mean, that just makes my mind wander. How did that happen? But they brought her. You know, the pictures always have her all wrapped up in, in, in all this clothing. In all likelihood, they probably brought her to Jesus naked. I mean, you want to talk about shame. And they threw him at his feet. And because Jesus didn't observe the sin ranking system, you know what he said to her? He said, I don't condemn you. Now go and stop sinning. And I think that Jesus would have treated every one of us the same way. Jesus would have addressed my sin and he would have addressed your sin, whatever it is. It doesn't matter what it is, whether it's small, medium, large, or scarlet letter sin, whatever it is, Jesus would address us the same way. He wouldn't say, you're okay. He would say, I see that you're broken. And I love you. I want to heal you. I'm going to embrace you. Now go and stop sinning. Now go, be forgiven, be reconnected to God, and start again. Be born again. Be saved. Jesus seemed to understand really clearly that we all break differently and we all need a Savior. Friends, every one of us needs a savior. And I want to give you some very practical ideas, some next steps on things you can do to help you experience Jesus. And and these are just some suggestions. There's so many more things you can do. But the first thing, number one, if you're taking notes, acknowledge that you're broken. I think one of the biggest mistakes we make is that we just justify sin in our lives. We just pretend that sin doesn't break us. Or we come up with excuses for why the Bible doesn't mean what it says. Listen, you're broken. I'm broken. Let's be honest with it. Let's let's be real about it. And then secondly, you need somebody to pray with you. And, and today I've asked our prayer team members, and I'm going to ask any of our leaders who are available to pray to get ready and, and pray for people in a little bit. It'll be, it'll be a little while. But you may need prayer this morning. Sometimes it's not enough for us just to repeat a prayer after Pastor Russ and go on our way. Sometimes you need real prayer ministry, and today's a day when you can receive that prayer. And then thirdly, and this is so important, Everyone, listen to me carefully. Break out of the sin progression. You might be at step one. You might be at step two. You might be at step three. Maybe every one of those things that we listed at the end of Romans chapter one, maybe you've done every one of them. Maybe you're one of those people that's at home at night thinking up new ways to sin. Break out of it. You can change. Jesus can change you. You are not bound by whatever those passions are that seem to dictate all of your behaviors. It's not bondage. Jesus will break the chains. The band sang that song earlier. I don't know if you paid any attention to it, but you can stumble in here and find the chains falling off when Jesus intervenes in your life. And then lastly, uh, if you want to stay with us in this study, Next week, I'm going to be teaching on Romans 2, 1 through 16. And if you want to read ahead, that would be great. 
Maybe you need to spend a little more time in Romans chapter 1 and chapter 2, verse 1. But there's change coming for you. Would you bow your heads? I'd like to ask everybody in the room, would you, would you close your eyes and just give every person in this room a moment of privacy? And I want to lead you in a prayer, reconnecting you back to God. You might be here today and you've never connected to Jesus. You might be here today and you could identify yourself on that sin progression somewhere. And today, you just need to break out of it and you need Jesus to heal you. I want to pray with you. Then we're going to share in communion in just a moment. And then our prayer team will be available for prayer ministry for anybody. But right in this moment, I want to pray for you. If you're saying yes to the healing of Jesus for your brokenness, your sin, whatever you want to call it. And nobody's looking around. I'm not going to call you out. I'm not going to embarrass you. There's no shame here today. This is just you and Jesus and me praying with you, all right? So if that's you, you want to be included in this prayer, put your hand up real high and keep it up, would you? Real high. Come on. Boy, there's hands all over this room. Come on, put your hand up. Nobody's looking around. This is just you and Jesus. Lord Jesus, right now, I'm praying for every single person that has their hand raised today. Jesus, I know there's some of us today that have been so deeply broken by sin. And Jesus, I'm so grateful that you never sent us away. You never gave up on us. You just say, lay down your burdens and bring me your brokenness. So Jesus, today, we're coming to you. We're raising our hands as though we're reaching out to you because we need you to heal us. Jesus, today we're saying that we're sinners, that we need your forgiveness, we need your grace. We're asking you to wash us clean. And then one step more, Jesus, will you help us to break out of this sin cycle? Help us to stop damaging ourselves. Help us to stop damaging others. Help us to stop damaging our minds. And Jesus, bring us to the place where we can live for your glory, focused on the creator instead of what you've created. And thank you, Jesus, for loving us enough to pay the penalty for our sin. Jesus' name. Put your hands down. Thank you, Jesus. Everybody say, thank you, Jesus. I'll bet there's 50 of us today that had our hands raised. Thank you, Jesus.